0: We made a big mistake early on, which was you feel like you need every customer. When you're everything to everybody, you're really nothing to nobody. And that led us down a path where we weren't successful in the market.
1: Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Chad Pytel, founder and CEO of ThoughtBot, a web and mobile design and development agency with clients throughout the Americas, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. ThoughtBot has produced top quality applications with hundreds of clients, ranging from one person startups to Fortune 500 enterprises, universities, and nonprofits for more than 19 years, and are the creators of many popular open source projects. In addition to working with clients, Chad is responsible for the overall strategy of the company. Also, Chad has co-authored two books, Rails Anti-Patterns and Proactive Record, spoken at conferences around the world, and is the co-host of the podcast, Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots. I love that name. Chad, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you.
0: Thanks for having me, Carol. I really appreciate
1: it. Well, it's really my pleasure. I am lambasted, spammed constantly about people wanting to do application development for me, Mm -hmm. right? You've been at it for almost 20 years, clearly not your first rodeo. How did you come upon, like, what was the genesis of this idea? And, you know, are are you, what's the actual problem that you're solving for your clients?
0: So in addition to ThoughtBot being around for 19 years, I actually did freelance web design and development starting when I was in high school and so I've actually been doing this for even longer and um, I think it comes from wanting to help people and I have a skill set in design and development and so this desire to help people realize their idea and ultimately for thought about that also means helping people build successful companies and businesses. And I that's a big part of what motivates us. Nowadays, we also realize you said, you know, there's tons of different options out there. Uh, there's outsourcing, there's Thoughtbot, we believe that like there's always a better way to work. And that doesn't just mean the way programs are written or built, but also the way companies work. And what we do as part of our culture is trying to find it. And that better way of working and sharing it with as many people as possible. And so it's along those same lines of just helping people create better businesses, uh, creating new businesses, new products. And we love to do that. Um, We've done it for ourselves several times as well, but um, there's a there's a never ending demand, but also a lot of satisfaction in helping other people do
1: that. Mm-hmm. How, how does somebody know or, or what makes them think that they need mobile application development, somebody to develop?
0: Usually it comes from experiencing a problem yourself.
1: Yeah, very good.
0: So a lot of our clients are, especially on the startup side, we work with you know existing companies who want to do something new too, but especially on the startup side, the typical profile will be someone who's been successful in their industry. So maybe they're a successful real estate person or finance person or health person, and they, they've been successful in that industry. And through that success, they uncover there's this real problem in my industry. And if I create a new business and a new product that can help solve that problem Mm -hmm. that I'm passionate about, that I have my own experience dealing with that problem and I can help others. Uh, That's a recipe not only for Mm -hmm. wanting to like feeling that burning passion, but since you know, the problem is real and, and have, you know, that industry experience, it's also a recipe for a greater chance of success.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I'll say it here and I've said it countless times in, in in interviews on this podcast and interviews I've been on that the lowest common denominator of success is finding a problem that needs solving. Mm-hmm. Right. right. It really is. I mean, you can you can have all the other things in place. If you don't have a problem, people actually need to have solved. You're not going anywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why if you're if you experience the problem yourself,
1: that's right. right. And that's that's what typically happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so you got out of school um, in 2002. okay, Um, And then you founded the company in 2010. Yeah.
0: In 2003.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 2003. I apologize. I'm thinking I, I don't know. All of a sudden, I can't remember when twenty years ago is. Um, in two thousand three, you know, just just a year after you got out of school, you know, and, and, and you know, to your point, you'd been been coding since you were in high school, but you know, like what what had you think? Oh, I can start a company.
0: I was very naive.
1: <laughs> That's another common response I get. <laughs> now, you know, yeah.
0: <laughs> my my life up until that point you know, I had I had started doing this because I grew up in a small town in Western Massachusetts. It was right as most companies were creating their first website.
1: Mm, yes. And
0: so even as a high school student, I was able to get a lot of opportunity to help people and to create, create things. And since I grew up in a small town, there wasn't a lot of sort of computer people around those days. Um, so that's how it got started. But then what happened was, through like um I needed to work myself or work my way through college and so that that need like being able to continue doing that while I was also mm-hmm. in school was mm-hmm. a need and it was it was almost easy to keep on doing that then I went into college in 1998 which would have been the height of the dot com bubble
1: that's right so
0: people going into computer science at that point Thought was like uh, the opportunities are endless. I'm going to get this incredible job at like Pets. dot com, and it's going to be amazing, and I'm going to make a lot of money. Right. And then the dot com bubble burst, and the September 11th attacks happened, and I graduated in the spring after that into a very different job market. Right. And had trouble finding a a normal job, and so I once again leaned back on that that freelancing to make ends meet, but. Um, it was while I was doing that, that I, um, one of my clients said, Hey, I know this person who's doing something new, they're hiring, they're looking to hire a developer. Why don't you talk to them? And I, and I did, and it was a exciting new startup and I got started with that, but like a lot of startups, it failed fairly quickly, Mm -hmm. but I needed to hire a team. And, and while, so I started on like day one and then needed to hire a team on like week one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I, I went to the people that I had graduated with, my friends. sure, um, And they were also looking for work. And I said, let's, let's, you want to join this company with me. So I had something when that startup failed that I didn't have before, which was a group uh, of people that I really sure. liked working with. Yeah. And so it was actually the group of us that when that startup went under, I went to them and said, look, you know. We need to make ends meet. I have done this before with freelancing. We like working together. If I could get enough clients to support all five of us, would we? Would you want to keep on working together? And we brainstormed names and came up with ThoughtBot, and, and that's how we got started.
1: That's fantastic. So this is, you know, uh, over 19 years ago, going on mm-hmm. 20 years, and... You know, looking back on on that career and, you know, founding it with your with your buddies from school that you worked with, what would you say are some of the biggest first-time founder mistakes you made? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, having made that promise to them and this desire to or this need to support five people off the bat bootstrapped I made a big mistake. We made a big mistake early on, which was you feel like you need every customer that you can get because Uh, I made this promise to support people. And so we went from people who wanted to create product, you know, use our design and development expertise to create products, but I might be on the phone with someone who just needed a computer fixed or, Mm -hmm. you know, a network setup. And they would say, could you do that? Sure. And I felt like I needed, needed to say yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. But when you're everything to everybody, you're really right. nothing to nobody. And that led us down a path where for the first two years, we were very mediocre. We weren't we weren't successful in the market and we weren't successful doing work that we love to do, what little we had. Right. Yeah. Jack,
1: master, and, Jack of all trades, master of none, right? Right.
0: Right. So it wasn't until three of the original partners decided that they had had enough and were just going to get regular jobs. That was the very important turning point for Thoughtbot because the act of needing to decide consciously to stick with it, our friends had just shown us we could walk away from this. We weren't successful. Consciously deciding to stick with it, I remember the day we literally took out a piece of paper, a yellow line piece of paper, and wrote a list of things that we believed in and wanted to do, and a list of things that we were going to start saying no to. And that's really when Thoughtbot became Thoughtbot. Oh, that's
1: and fantastic! And it's
0: obvious in retrospect, and it's a common. I now yeah. understand like it, it, it is a thing common. in marketing. That's correct. Yes, it is. <laughs> To be clear about who you are and to and it's okay to niche down to be Mm
1: -hmm. it's
0: it feels counterintuitive to say instead of addressing the whole market of we're going to find the 10 people or the thousand true fans who believe what we believe and want what we have. And when we are very clear about that, then the people who believe what we believe can find us. And we don't need to be everything to everybody. And so we started being really clear about those things, and and that started to be happen. So it happened actually very quickly from that point, almost like remarkably quickly. How different things started to be for our business after that. So that was the first important lesson um, that we learned.
1: That's really great. You know, I I and I hear that a lot. I mean, I you know people just think they need to be everything to everybody, and you really don't need to be. I I think I if I recall correctly, you know, in the heyday when SAP was like everybody thought SAP had all the business in the ERP space, right? Mm-hmm. And at that in their heyday, I don't know what it is now, because this is this is years ago, they only owned about thirty percent of the market. But but that thirty percent of the market, people looked at them and thought, they have the whole market. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's, that I think is a great illustration of, you know, you don't need the whole market. You don't need to And, but, but companies that are small, I hear this a lot. I had somebody say this to me not long ago, you know, I feel like I have to take on the business. Then you should probably shouldn't be an entrepreneur. right <laughs> <laughs> No, really. Yeah. You know, maybe you shouldn't be in business for yourself. If you're not willing to walk away from business that isn't going to suit you and serve you. Mm-hmm and it's hard and it's for really people to do it it's I mean, really I, difficult it is to i mean do. i have resembled that remark over the years yeah. from time to time i don't do it any i haven't done it for a very long time but but there's no question that i think pretty much all all entrepreneurs have been there at one time in their in their careers
0: yeah and i i talk a lot with now our team because i know that it's been super su- important to our success to the phrase I use is like, work like we had nothing to lose. Like Mm -hmm. we were willing to say no because we had nothing to lose. Right. But now uh, the ThoughtBot team, um, you know, they see (laughs) the reputation that we have, the success we've had. We've been around for 19 years. There's a team. They know if we don't do this client or this client were to fire us. Maybe these four people wouldn't have a client project to work on. It feels like there's something to lose now because there, there sort of is. And yet, so we hold back out of fear of messing that up. But that's actually the most likely thing to mess us up over time is to continually be everything to everybody, to not right. really stand for anything, to mm-hmm. not be honest about right. who we are and what we do and to say yeah. yes to everything we will just sort of slowly ruin what it was we were trying to protect in the first place over time.
1: Yeah, that's really terrific. So, you know, as you mentioned, you bootstrapped the company. Um, was there ever a time where you thought about taking institutional capital?
0: Um, not really. And and part of that is because consulting companies are traditionally yeah, they're, they're bad right. businesses to do that. Right. Um,
1: exactly. And I, again, I resemble that remark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
0: yeah. Um, where that has come up, though, as I mentioned, we cre- we've created our own products over the years and uh, several of them have gotten to the point where they have two or three people working on them full time, generating a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue a year. And each time we've gotten to that point, that question comes up because we've, that's sort (laughs) of the threshold at where it starts to become its own business with its own needs. It might need marketing or salespeople that are different than our consulting business because it's a SaaS product. Right, right. In those cases, what we've ended up doing actually is spinning out and selling or selling the product to somebody else who will take it from there and exiting early uh, so that we could focus on our main business rather than creating another one. Um, But that's not to say we won't ever take investment in um, something like that. It's just when faced with that opportunity in the past, that's the road that we've taken.
1: Yeah. What's, you know, as as I said, there's a lot of companies out there doing application development. Let's talk a little bit about the competitive nature of your business Mm -hmm. and how you, Distinguish yourself among, you know, among the bloody Red Sea,
0: we were Very fortunate and I think this is this is probably true when when you're really sort of clear about who you are and what you Mm do Mm -hmm. You get the opportunity to differentiate yourself And it then success starts to happen and it feels lucky um so what happened was we, in that mindset of creating that list of things that we wanted to do and believed in, um, we were very, Ruby on Rails, a development framework, Mm -hmm. was just coming out. It was just hitting 1.0 and we had been using it. And it was very clear to us that it was a great option. And we were more fulfilled when we were using Rails than we were using something else. So we said, we're going to use Rails. We didn't know it, but we were essentially the first consulting company in the world to switch to Ruby on Rails. I'll
1: be darned. Yeah. And again, this and wh- when it was feels this? lucky. This was
0: 2005.
1: Yeah. Okay. Got it.
0: Um, so if, again, it feels lucky when stuff like rubyonrails.org, the Rails website, makes a top level consulting company link on the website and lists three companies there and Thoughtbot's one of the three. It feels like, oh, we got so lucky. Well, you have to remember if we had said, oh, we're everything to everybody and we we do whatever, including Rails, Ruby on Rails.org was never going to list us on the yes. website. They're that's only right. going to list companies that say that that's what committed they to do. them.
1: That's yeah. right. Yeah. And
0: so um there were a few things like that. So we we do more than Rails now, but in the early days that was a big differentiator. And by um, so now we have created popular open source and blogs and books and everything in that. We have a very strong reputation in that market. Um, that is a, a big thing for us. Another big differentiator is the general development and design practices that we have around the way that we believe products should be built. I don't necessarily wanna go into all the gory technical details of yeah, them right. all, but <laughs> suffice to say, we tend to be pretty opinionated at any one point in time so that people really know what they're gonna get. Yeah. And the people who yep. believe in agile development, in test-driven mm-hmm. development, mm-hmm. in these kinds of practices can find us and, and, and want to work with us
1: yeah that's really great i you know i'm a I'm a huge believer in in exactly what you just said. It's so important, I believe, to the success of a company. you know i I had somebody interview me not long ago and they said, You have a lot of controversial topics in your book. <laughs> <laughs> Are you worried about that? And I'm like, right. well, no, I'm not. Right. you know I just didn't you know pull it out of thin air. I didn't just pull it out of left field. It's based on thirty years experience, yeah. Right. So, you know, and that's that's an
0: important thing. People might hear this conversation and say, well, how do what is the practical? How do I actually do this? And I think books are a great way. We have we on our website have we call it the playbook. Right. It lists everything about how we work. Yeah. And another common question I get is, well, aren't you afraid that competitors are going to steal it? And it's like they they still I I didn't come up with this metaphor, but yeah, it's a great one. It's like really popular Chefs, famous chefs, make cookbooks. That's not what makes them popular and famous and good at what they do. That's right. It's the execution and the actual belief in those things and the execution of them that matters. So yes, people do copy the way that we work mm-hmm. in, on the surface, but that's it doesn't make them. the same.
1: When the rubber meets the road, it ain't the case. So, and that's you know that's what I've always said. Is somebody said, "God, you you just you're going to tell everybody like how to do everything in your book?" Yeah. They, they still, but, you know, when it comes to execution, they can't do it. Right.
0: And even if they can execute on some part of it, I often hear this. I once was talking to a potential customer and they said, well, I'm also talking to the ThoughtBot of Portugal. I was like, well, that's interesting. that the, Because <laughs> they're talking to this company and they say, we've modeled a lot of the way that we work off of ThoughtBot. Well, what does that do to our reputation to have other companies saying that they've modeled copying is the highest form of flattery yeah
1: (laughs) yeah that's really great so uh chad you have um you know as i mentioned in in uh introducing you you've you know done stuff from you know little itty bitty one-person startups up to fortune 500 enterprises do you have a sweet spot
0: yeah our our sweet spot is people who have who 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 want to do something new (laughs) And want to really um, build something modern with best practices, and to not compromise on on quality while they're doing it. So, a lot of teams play f- startups, or or teams play fast and loose with certain practices and everything as as they're getting started, um, and so. We tend to be a really trusted, because of our long track record of success and longevity in the market, and the you know we publish the way that we work and all that stuff. If someone wants to know that they can get a new product to market very quickly without having to compromise on those ideals of the way products are built, that really goes a long way to reducing the risk of bringing new products to market. That's that's our that's our sweet spot. So whether it be the startup founder who's really concerned about building something that nobody wants to use, or it be the much larger company <laughs> that is really con- knows how difficult it is to bring new products to market mm-hmm. and wants to do something while keeping quality really high but bring mm-hmm. it to market quickly, that t- mm-hmm. tends to be our sweet spot.
1: Got it. How do you tend to five- find your prospects?
0: We focus a lot on on content. So rather than doing cold outreach, which right. we're almost all designers and developers, we don't want to spend our time
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> doing
0: cold outreach to people. Sure. We instead focus our efforts on sharing our knowledge, blogging, um, putting things out in the world so that people know about us, and so when they have a need,
1: they're going to we you. Yep. we
0: surface to the top. That's that's how we so. Even though we do a lot to generate biz- new business, almost all of our new business looks like it's inbound <laughs> because people are contacting us when they have a need, and that's well, a- and
1: that's that's all. I mean, that's really how my business works as well. I mean, that's you know, if you put out enough content and people you know start to see you as the go-to guy, right? Yeah, for what what they need, they're going to call you, and you're going to have a conversation, right? And you know, we'll close some business. You might not close all of it. Um, but you don't have to close all your business.
0: Right. So one thing uh, that I'll share that we've been doing over the last couple of years, ever Mm -hmm. since the pandemic and once we went fully remote, um, is running online events. That's something that we used to do a little bit of when we had offices, um, but we really grew that when we went fully remote to run. And we don't even need to be the ones on the panel of the event, but we can be the moderator, and we can say we're going to have an online event about well, the one, most recent one we did was like the cost of living crisis in Europe that's happening right now, and how that affects businesses. So um, we put together a panel of experts from our clients and from from the community. We moderated the event. People Love it. came. That has been a really uh, fruitful strategy for us because what it allows us to do is it puts good things out in the world and allows people who right. might not otherwise know about us to to find us. It allows yep. us to leverage the network of everybody on the panel, and then we get the sign up list and we can say, oh, this person who already came to our event. Is that a company that could be a good fit for working with us? And we reach out to them and we follow up with the recording of the event. And we say, thanks for coming to the event. Yep. Yep. If you have any questions about an app you're trying to build or anything like that, uh, I'm happy to have a call with you. So that's something we've been doing, not only to build and demonstrate expertise in new areas, but to do active lead generation
1: as well. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do the same thing. I think that's that's such a great strategy, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know in in business, you know you, there there's I always say there's givers and takers, right? And you know who are you going to be in the world? Yeah, that's great. And and you know I think if you're going to be a giver, that will come back to you. It won't come back to you at a hundred percent, because you know there's a lot of takers out there, right? Right. But that's okay. You're doing a, you know, you're doing a mitzvah by doing yeah. it to begin with. Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I once, uh, it's been a few years since I did it, but, uh, uh, a few years ago, uh, I just, um, totaled up the revenue, the combined revenue of our clients at the time and how much they had fundraised. And it was something like a hundred billion dollars or something like that.
1: Oh my God. And, and, and it's like, unbelievable.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're a relatively small business compared yeah. to them. But I think that's a good example of giving back more than you necessarily take. We can be a small player, but we can have a big impact. And yeah. we always say at ThoughtBot that we would rather be a little bit smaller and to be truly fulfilled in our work and not have to compromise and not have to work with clients we don't necessarily want to work with. That's right and, uh, we try to stay true to that.
1: That's right. Not everybody needs to be, you know, a, a $10 billion company. Right. You know, I, I, for years I would say, you know, it's not my, it's not my job to tell anybody how much money they should want to make or how successful they want to be. It's not for me to decide for you. Yeah. You, you know, we each have to decide for ourselves. So that's, that's really fantastic. Um, what what's the 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 life cycle of building an application? I assume it depends on the complexity
0: it right? does, but I would say that there's a general for a new product yeah there's a general life cycle um there's I would almost go far as to say is there's probably a life cycle that most people do and one that they should do that a lot of people overlook um so generally what we want is to before building something to really validate the idea. And what that will typically look like is rapid prototypes of an idea that we then test with real potential customers. Sure. And so many people, when they're starting something new, jump right to that building phase, and they start building the wrong thing Mm. uh, that people isn't really solving the problem or right. that people won't pay for or mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And so you can do a lot of lightweight upfront research and testing, To and it doesn't take a long time. People hear that and they say, well, I don't want to wait months to get started. No, really just in a week or two of taking a step back, sketching some things, prototyping some things and testing them with real people. Another common mistake, especially early founders make, is they're like, you're talking to your friends and your family about your idea. And every it's all positive. Everyone says it's a great idea.
1: Yeah, of course they But they're they not do. the actual customers <laughs> who
0: are right. going to buy that later. They're also not <laughs> impartial at all, even if they want to yeah. be.
1: It's like getting a million likes on Facebook. It's meaningless.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that early research, validation, prototyping, identifying the strategy, who the customers are, is a worthwhile um, little first phase uh, of of that life cycle, and then from there we, our goal is to identify the smallest possible thing that we can bring to market that people that will be valuable to to people. Our goal is to identify what that is and then do it quickly. Most things on the very small side will happen in eight to twelve weeks. We can get to that point. For much larger things we're, you know we're working on new Medicare platforms or new like uh, significant things for significant markets that might take six months or a year to get that product in mark into market so that phase tends to to vary in terms of length, but our goal, even on those long term things, is to do the same, which is can we get this to some segment of users? Can we do a beta test? Can we learn to really validate that we're on the right track at every step of the way? Because I once read like over 50% of all software products fail. Um, and so if we can do things to mitigate that failure along the way, um, that's really worthwhile. Um, and you can do that without slowing down the process. So that's, that's what we're trying to do along the way. Um, and then we get the product into market. And if you're working with us, um, what will typically happen at that point is y- you will do you will do fundraising and you'll gain more investment. And then we'll start to help you hire a team of people that are going to replace us. Um, that'll typically be the the life cycle of working with us.
1: Interesting. Um, how often does it happen where you you know get into this beta testing and realize no, this is not going to Nobody wants this.
0: <laughs> because we did the early upfront prototyping and testing, that doesn't typically happen because okay. it, it happened way sooner. Well, in right. The so yeah,
1: that's I guess that's what I'm asking then. Yeah. Right. Yes. But what
0: does happen, even if we've done validating and prototyping, is you know, once a real, real thing is in people's hands. You do learn things, and so it becomes more of an iterative process where right. you say, "Oh, this isn't this isn't wrong. It's just not as good as it could be," and we're 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 able to refine things quickly once it's yeah, released.
1: That's, that's really interesting. Um, what would you say are the biggest challenges that you're facing within your industry at this time? Well
0: one of the things that was really maybe a challenge or a hurdle for us that I think is still so is that, so up until 2020, we were uh, in, in in six or so offices in London and then New York, Boston, San Francisco, different cities. And we worked in person with each other and we had teams. So If we really skip to the business angle of that, clients with us were willing to pay for clients in Manhattan, were willing to pay for and work with a Manhattan-based team in our office because that was valuable to them. And we existed in a world where you could work, you could work with someone in any place, but clients chose to work with us because we were local in person, we could be in their office, that kind of thing. So in a world where everyone needs to go remote and us included, we really worried that we would be forced or lumped in with every other outsourcing company. That
1: right. That, is, I was, I was going to ask you about that. So I'm glad you're bringing that up. Yeah.
0: Um And then we made the decision to go 100% remote. And so when you look at the map of where people work now, we have people, folks all throughout the Americas. We have folks in Europe and Middle East and Africa. And so it would be natural for a client to look at that and say, oh, they're just a typical outsourcing company and lump us in with sort of that commoditization of development that's, that's in the world. And so, but that's not the case. We're like a boutique firm made up of experts who are really, really good at what they do and who bring a higher level of experience and and delivery to our work with clients. And they just, it just so happens to be that we're able to hire the best person no matter where they live now.
1: That's right. Well, that seems to be, again, another common denominator among companies deciding to go remote.
0: Yeah. And so continuing to differentiate ourselves and make it clear to the market that we aren't just a commodity development company, but that we are much further up in terms of the research and strategy and what it is that you should even build. If you're looking for someone to just write some code and be told what to do, we're not the company for you. We're way too expensive and we're too, way too experienced. If you're looking to work with a company that is going to help you figure out what you should even do, that's that's what we do.
1: Got it. So you've got about 100 employees. What has that pattern of growth been over the last 19 years?
0: We actually spent the first decade specifically holding ourselves to no more than 25 people um we could have been bigger but we didn't know how to be a larger team and to stay true to the kind of company we wanted to be and it wasn't until someone i remember in in a company meeting sort of stood up and said like if we really believe we have a better place to work a better way of working Why are we not trying to bring that?
1: (laughs) Why are we not growing? Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) And I realized that we were letting the fear of what being bigger would look like hold us back from that. And instead of letting the fear completely hold us back, it would be better to let the fear guide us to a better solution. And Um, what we ended up doing is realizing, okay, we don't need to think about ourselves. Like what, how could we possibly preserve what we have if we're 50 people or a hundred people? Um, maybe if we opened, we were all in Boston. We were 20 people in Boston, 25 people in Boston. If we opened another studio of people in another region and sort of replicated what it was like for us in Boston, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then we could, it wasn't like we were creating a 50 person team, but we were creating two 25 person teams and we know what those teams look like (laughs) and we know that they can be Thoughtbot. Got it. And that led us to that once we realized or reframed our way of thinking to be aligned with that strategy for growth, we then grew very quickly. And the next uh, two years after that, we grew to about 50, 60 people. Okay,
1: so more than double Across,
0: uh, I think it was mm-hmm. at the time, maybe four uh, studios. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we continued to grow with that model up until the pandemic um, and needing to go and wanting to go fully remote.
1: So, you know, every anybody who's listening to this, uh, including you and I, knows that software engineers are the hardest people to find (laughs) great software engineers particularly so how have you gone about finding that talent getting them to talk to you and them realizing yeah i want to go to work for thoughtbot instead of you know fill in the blank with anything
0: well not to sound like a broken record But the same things that we do to differentiate ourselves with clients are the exact same things that the developers see and say, oh, I believe in that. I want to work at a company that works that way. Very great. I want to do that. So it's actually Mm -hmm. all totally 100% aligned. And so the same thing with that happens that I mentioned with clients, which is it looks like our pipeline is almost entirely inbound when it comes to clients. Same is true with our hiring pipeline. It's almost entirely inbound. We get about 3,000 applications a year. Wow. We hire um, 1%, less than 1% of those people. Um, And we form a really great team of people who are passionate about not only the work we do, but the way that we do it. And they're self-selecting into this environment.
1: Yeah, that's so awesome to hear. What percentage of hiring mistakes would you say you make?
0: I, make a, I think we make a lot less now than we did in the early and, and days. And that, that would
1: make sense, right? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. In the early days, uh, you know, a lot of hiring was uh, done based on who we knew of course. or a gut feel yeah. or that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. um, not only does that lead to us hiring the wrong people sometimes, but to be quite honest, it also, when you're hiring just your friends or the people you know, it's terrible for building a diverse team of people. Yeah, of people. course it is. Um, and so we really suffered uh, early on in both of those ways of hiring some people that weren't fits, but also really in terms of having a diverse, inclusive team of people. Well, who it will cost all you money, doesn't together. it? Together, yeah, and
1: that happens. Yeah.
0: So we've that's an area where we've improved a lot, and one a lot of the ways that we've done that is becoming more rigorous and standardized with the interviewing process. Um, so even little things or big things, but it has a, uh, big impact is like our, when people apply to ThoughtBot, when we look at their application, it's 100% anonymous. So we don't see their name. We don't see where they live. We don't see their gender pronouns. We don't even see the names of the schools that they went to or the companies right. that they worked oh, at.
1: That's so we're really trying
0: to remove as much bias from the process as possible. And then we do that at every step of the way by having standardized rubrics of things that we've collectively determined actually matter to being successful at the company, eliminating things that creep into the process that don't actually matter to success. And we've, had, we've made a lot of progress in terms of not only hiring better, um, but building a
1: more diverse team as well. That's terrific. So you know you're you're a privately held company. Mm-hmm. Um, do you give out any kind of, you know, I mean, un, you know, not really traditional stock stock plan? Or is there any way yeah. for people to earn their way into the company? Right?
0: It's a it's a really an owner. good question. Um, so we actually do d- direct people in leadership positions at the company get stock options and thought okay. and okay. that's a interesting situation because as you said, unless we have plans to sell the company or to go public, stock options are sort of meaningless. <laughs>
1: that's right.
0: But I'd rather us, what, the conclusion we came to after not doing something for a while was that's not fair to everybody, like to have nothing in place, e- even right. like, like, let's put something in place, even if it's not perfect, so that there's that safety net and that knowledge or that, that acknowledgement. You've been part of creating something. And if that were to happen, even though we don't have plans to you would be rewarded for it. Right. And in some ways, I view that as sort of a stopgap as like, this is the tool we have now. Mm -hmm. And in the future, maybe we will be able to convert into an employee owned company or we'll we'll do something in the future. But in the meantime, stock Mm -hmm. options are what we're
1: what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrific. So is there, do you often, uh, or do you ever, you probably do find people coming to you that have, that have been with, tried to have some other application development firm, build them something. And it was a disaster. And they're now they're like, Oh shit. I I, I'm, I don't trust anybody.
0: <laughs> it is. And trust is so important in our no. business. Um, yeah. you know, so the, One issue we have, and one of the reasons why I would say that um, a lot of people are in a really tough situation when that happens, especially if you're a startup company, you had limited money to begin with, and you probably spent most of it working with that other company. And now you're in a position where you spent most of your money and you don't have something that can launch. And you come to us and you're saying like, I have very little budget left over. Can we salvage or fix this problem? And that's actually really difficult to do to be perf- perfectly honest. Like you uh, oftentimes it will be more expensive to actually salvage to fix or it. fix it yeah, of course. than than you originally spent. Right. And so mm. what we try to do with those clients especially their limited budget is again getting back to where we started this conversation. We do this because we try to make people successful. We're trying to help people and make them successful. So that means that even if they're not able to work with us, we still want to try to make them successful. So what we'll usually do in that situation is help them get a sense of what's actually there and um, what could best like either do some validation or auditing of, of what's there and if at the end of that process we determine we can't help them for the the, for the amount of money that they have yep. remaining, we'll usually try to find somebody who okay. can. And that might Got be it. an individual freelancer that we trust or something like that that can that can help them. Got it. That's not to say, you know, if you're out there and you have that problem, we don't want to talk to you. No, um, I get it. But we also, if we can't help you, we want to be honest with you about mm-hmm. that and try to set you up for
1: success. Yeah, well. There's uh, something to be said about being authentic with people. So um, what's a typical day look like for you?
0: My day is very, um, I spend, I wear a lot of different hats and do a lot of different things. At heart, I'm still a developer um, and designer. So uh, that is very important to me. And uh, it's a big part of why I believe I've been able to do this for so long because I find it really important to have some time set aside throughout the week to be able to continue to do design and development. Nowadays, that's difficult for me to do for clients consistently because of my other responsibilities for ThoughtBot. It can be difficult to also be working with clients. So I spend a lot of that time and energy working on internal things for ThoughtBot. We have an internal messaging system and scheduling and and that kind of thing, and I can get that outlet there. So a portion of my day will be spent helping with those kinds of things. And then the rest uh, is about a third uh, of the time is spent talking with potential customers um, about working together and sales conversations, um, that kind of thing. And then the other third is with ThoughtBot team members, um, helping them with their projects or their challenges that they're, hap- they're having, um, you know, now we have a operations team, uh, an operations team, a people operations team, and we're employing people over um, 14 different countries. Um, and so we have a great chief people officer, but really, when it comes to like culture and values and strategies mm-hmm. for growth, and really making sure we're staying authentic to who Thoughtbot is that is a big part of how I spend my time yeah. uh, each day. And mm-hmm. what that exactly looks like um, varies, but often it is talking with people, reassuring them that they're on the right track. Um, because a lot of times, like I was saying earlier, like to stay authentic to who we are seems risky uh, because it involves saying no to something or doing something out of the ordinary. And so a lot of what I do is, Saying yeah, that sounds great, <laughs> or yes, say no to that thing because that is going to help us stay authentic to who we are.
1: Well, wow, that's really terrific. So, if somebody listening to this uh, interview, Chad, um, let's say it's that it's that one percent, right, of the uh, of the mm-hmm. three thousand uh, 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 requests you get to, for looking people looking for jobs. Um, somebody listening to this is thinking, oh yeah, I totally want to work for these guys. What should they do?
0: Uh, well, that is an interesting question because right at this point in time, we don't have any open positions. <laughs> you know, I think, um, one of the things we've learned having been in 19 business for 19 years is it's really important going into market conditions that w- we're in right now that mm-hmm. we don't accidentally overhire. That is correct. And so we've established, uh, cause we, we, we care about being around for basically mm-hmm. ever, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so we've established guidelines internally based on the past that say, if things look like this and those are, are primarily the utilization of the current team, we have guidelines. If we fall below those guidelines, once we fill a position, we'll, we'll close it. Um, and so not to, not to spread doom and gloom, but we're, we're within those guidelines where we've, we've filled the positions and we've closed them and we're sort of um being really judicious about managing the business now making sure that we have more than enough work for the team that we have and making sure we don't overextend ourselves recessions tend to be pretty good in our for us because in the beginning of, of a recession people are scared hiring will freeze up that kind of thing but companies still software runs the world the, so companies still need to get That's stuff right. done that's right. So, and, but they're not allowed to hire, but they are allowed to work with outside companies. So, that tends to be pretty good for us. Then, coming out of a recession, uh, companies can't hire fast enough. Hiring has been opened up, um, or they want to do something new and they don't have somebody to do it, and and they can't do it. Bring someone on fast enough. So, we tend to get be okay, <laughs> but it it means um, not over hiring. So, definitely. Check us out at ThoughtBot.com. Um, we have a form there that you are, you can register your interest, that kind of thing, but we don't have active positions to apply to right now.
1: Okay. Well, with that, um, is there anything that I have not asked you that you wanted to talk about before we go?
0: Ooh. I mean, this is stuff I could literally talk about all day. So no, yeah. I think we can leave it there.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, Chad Pytel, founder and CEO of ThoughtBot, uh, thanks for being with me. This is, you know, you're the first person I've interviewed uh, that does application development. And I just, this is really an engaging conversation. I appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And if you or anybody else there wants to continue to pick my brain about that idea that you have, that thing you want to do or the product you're ha- you already have that you're having trouble with, definitely get in touch.
1: And how should they get in touch?
0: Uh, you can email me at chad at thoughtbot.com uh, okay. or go to thoughtbot.com.
1: All right, sounds good. Thanks, Chad. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest Tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.